Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to the CBS Evening News ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes. But let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. The news tonight about another deadly encounter with police. The officers won't be charged in the shooting of Andrew Brown Jr. The district attorney is saying tonight the deputies were justified. New body cam video shows the moment Brown is shot. The prosecutor describes the 42-year-old as a violent felon using the car as a deadly weapon. But his family called it an execution. The reaction tonight. Still no ceasefire. More rockets are fired on Israel. More buildings crumble in Gaza. With hundreds killed and more than 50,000 displaced, CBS News is in the West Bank during the Palestinians' Day of Rage. Plus, more pressure on President Biden to get a ceasefire. Cautious optimism. 16 states in America report zero COVID deaths. That's right, none. Signs tonight the U.S. is rounding the corner on this pandemic. State of emergency. Hundreds rescued in the south after nearly a foot of rain falls, with millions still in the path of relentless storms. COVID eviction crisis. Up to 40 million Americans are behind on rent and could lose their homes, which just weeks until a federal moratorium expires. Where are you going to go? We don't know yet. New colon cancer screening guidelines. Less than a year after Chadwick Boseman died from the disease, the recommendations to catch one of the deadliest cancers in America. And the taste of success. How these high school friends turned a sweet idea into a delicious business. This is the CBS Evening News with Nora O'Donnell, reporting from the nation's capital. Good evening and thank you for joining us. We're going to begin tonight with that decision by a North Carolina prosecutor not to charge sheriff deputies in the deadly shooting of Andrew Brown Jr. The 42-year-old black man was killed during an early morning raid by police last month as they tried to serve him with drug-related warrants. 
Brown's family calls the shooting an execution. But tonight, the district attorney says the killing was justified, showing a portion of body camera video he says shows Brown nearly hitting two officers as he sped away in his car that morning. Now, the decision not to press charges is doing little to come outrage in Elizabeth City, North Carolina tonight. And as we come on the air, there are calls for new protests and for the U.S. Department of Justice to file federal charges in the case. Well, CBS's Jeff Begays is going to lead off our coverage tonight from North Carolina. Good evening, Jeff. Nora, the entire encounter lasted just 44 seconds from the moment that officers pulled up on the scene with guns drawn to the moment that Andrew Brown Jr. was shot and killed. We want to warn you that the video that you're about to see is disturbing. As they pulled up on the scene, the officers were heavily armed and sitting in the back of a pickup truck. Andrew Brown Jr. is behind the wheel of the blue sedan that officers are closing in on. Investigators later conclude that Brown was not armed. But that his attempt to flee made the vehicle a deadly weapon, putting officers in danger. District Attorney Andrew Wumble played four body camera videos showing multiple angles to explain his decision. The facts of this case clearly illustrate the officers who used deadly force on Andrew Brown Jr. did so reasonably. Womble says Brown's car made contact with one of the officers as the vehicle backed up. In the video, Brown also appears to turn the vehicle away from officers who ended up firing 14 shots. Brown was shot in the right arm and died from a fatal wound to the back of the head. You're sending these mixed messages. You're saying he was threatening them, but then he's backing away, and it's the officer going for the car. Okay, when you employ a car in a manner that puts officers' lives in danger, that is a threat. And I don't care what direction you're going. The shooting happened on April 21st as police were serving two felony arrest warrants on Brown. Prosecutors say he sold cocaine and heroin in March to undercover officers on separate stings. Brown family attorney Harry Daniels says the DA ignored department policy in reaching his decision. You don't shoot a vehicle that's no longer a threat and you don't shoot into a moving vehicle. None of the officers involved in the shooting will be charged. As for the Brown family, it wants the Justice Department to intervene in this case and ultimately reach a different conclusion. Nora. All right, Jeff Pegues, thank you. And we're going to turn now to the Middle East, where there is no end in sight for the deadly conflict between Israel and Hamas. The Israeli military spokesman says that as long as rockets are being fired at Israel, de-escalation is not on the table. CBS's Holly Williams was in the West Bank today. Today, the West Bank erupted. The Palestinians called it a day of rage. The Palestinians have been throwing stones and the Israeli soldiers who were about 300 yards away on that hillside have been shooting tear gas canisters and live fire. Dozens of Palestinians were reported injured and four killed. Israel claims two soldiers were shot in the leg, though we saw no guns on the Palestinian side. 
Many Palestinians feel powerless. Just listen to Maysoon Ali, a banker who told us she used to live in the US. If you are living in Washington, D.C., or in Chicago, or in L.A., accept the neighbor to come and take a piece of land or a piece of furniture from your house, nobody accepted. Hamas, a group considered a terrorist organization by the U.S., has fired more than 3,000 rockets at Israel since last week, killing two civilians today. In retaliation, the tiny, poverty-stricken Gaza Strip has been shattered by Israeli airstrikes. Around 50,000 people have now fled their homes and more than 200 have been killed, according to Palestinian officials. Israel says it's targeting militants, but according to Mohammed al-Hadidi, there was no warning before the strike that killed his wife and four sons. Only his five-month-old baby Omar was saved from the rubble. More than 60 children have been killed by Israeli airstrikes, according to Palestinian figures. And tonight, the fighting continues. Israel's defence minister said today they have thousands more Hamas targets in their sights. Nora. All right, Holly Williams on the scene there. Thank you. And back here in Washington, there are growing calls for President Biden to intervene in the conflict. The White House says it's carrying on diplomacy behind the scenes. And tonight there are reports that President Biden delivered a firmer message to Israelis' prime minister privately Monday than he has expressed publicly. Well, CBS's Ed O'Keefe has more reporting tonight from the White House. Pressure on the president to act continues to mount. With protests in New York and Michigan, where he went today hoping to promote electric cars. Stepping off Air Force One, he came face to face with one of the biggest critics of his response, Michigan Democratic Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib, who has family in the West Bank and told the president that Palestinian human rights are not a bargaining chip and must be protected. That's what's missing in the statements coming from President Biden. You don't hear the words Palestinians deserve human rights, that Palestinians deserve to exist. The president acknowledged her concerns. It's my, from my heart, I pray that your grandma and family are well. But later, while test driving an electric truck, the president brushed off questions about the violence. Mr. President, can I ask you a quick question on Israel before you drive away? No, you can't. Not unless you get in front of the car as I step on it. I'm not Okay, here we go. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi today joined a growing list of Democrats urging the president to more forcefully call for a ceasefire. But the administration continues to pursue a resolution behind the scenes. We are engaged in quiet but very intensive diplomacy. Wisconsin Democrat Mark Pocan says the president's current strategy isn't cutting it. He needs to be a little more aggressive and demanding a ceasefire. So you heard that the administration likes to say it's engaged in quiet, intense diplomacy. And that appears to be what happened Monday evening in a call between the president and Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu. Mr. Biden saying that Israel's going to struggle to hold out growing global and congressional criticism if the violence continues. As for the Secretary of State, he's traveling in Europe, making calls and has no current plans to visit the Middle East. Nora. All right, Ed O'Keefe, thank you. Well, tonight, new evidence the COVID vaccines are having a powerful impact in the battle against the virus. 16 states reported no COVID deaths yesterday. And nationwide, deaths have fallen to 546 per day. They actually haven't been that low in more than a year. CBS's Manuel Bohorkis reports. My message to young people, of course, is simple. Get vaccinated. 
Tonight, the positive news on COVID comes with a plea to vaccinate as cases in children are on the rise. Nearly a quarter of new weekly COVID-19 infections are in kids, according to the American Academy of Pediatrics. More than 600,000 children ages 12 to 15 have been vaccinated since the Pfizer vaccine was authorized for that age group last week. That still leaves more than 16 million to go. We're nervous. The University of Miami Health System is trying to boost the numbers, sending this mobile pediatric unit to underserved communities like the Little Haiti neighborhood to give shots to children and adults. Now I feel safer to leave the house. 16-year-old Tatiana Pierre is the first among her friends to get one. A lot of them want to get the vaccine, but they don't know like a lot about it. So I think they're waiting for me to get mine so I can tell them about it. Eric Green got his too. So a matter of convenience for you. Yes. How important is it for you to be able to have this kind of place? Oh, a, a lot. Very important. Um, it's getting out to the community and we, we need to get back to normal life. So far in Florida, only 7% of vaccinated people are black. The White House acknowledged today the need to balance vaccine inequities. We are making progress in equity through very intentional focus. However, in the next phase of our vaccine program, we know there is much more to do. And tonight, there are questions about when all age groups will be eligible for the vaccine. Dr. Anthony Fauci gave this timeline. It is likely that by the time we get to the end of this calendar year and the first quarter of 2022, that we will have enough information to be able to vaccinate children of any age. And while some states are holding on to their mask mandates, some people here in Florida who were accused of violating local COVID restrictions are finding out that their criminal cases are being dropped. And in Texas today, the governor announced the state will not allow any government entity, including schools, to require masks, or they could face a $1,000 fine. Nora? All right, Manny Bohorkas, thank you. And tonight, millions of people in Texas, Arkansas, Louisiana, and Oklahoma are in the path of a dangerous storm system. Intense rain is expected to unleash more severe flooding, especially in already saturated places. CBS's Janet Shamlian reports from hard-hit Baton Rouge. Torrential rain overnight swamping Louisiana. My car is underwater, so I don't know how it's going to work. Hopefully everything turns out fine. Heavy flooding submerging a portion of Baton Rouge. More than 250 rescues as first responders waded through waist-high water. Authorities say they had more than 800 calls for help. 15 bus drivers becoming part of the rescue team. Those life-saving efforts still in progress after the city was slammed by more than 13 inches of rain in some areas. Flash flooding in nearby Lake Charles. Tonight, authorities assessing the damage. While we hope that the worst of this rainfall is behind us, we can't be sure of that. And because the ground is already saturated, it doesn't take as much new rainfall to have a very serious impact. The southern storm also took aim at Texas, spawning tornadoes like this one. It may not be the last. This is what it looks like in parts of Baton Rouge tonight. And this is after water at this apartment complex has already receded two feet. Tomorrow, some parts of Louisiana could see another half foot of rain. Nora? Oh, worried about everybody. Janet Shamlian, thank you. 
Well, tonight, families in several states don't know where they are going to sleep. Evictions are slowly returning as states challenge the moratorium imposed during the pandemic. The trickle of evictions could soon become a flood as renters owe up to $53 billion to landlords. Here's CBS's Omar Villafranca. A wave of evictions despite a federal ban. Today in Dallas, Anthony Upshaw and his 17-year-old son are being put out of their home. They're going to show up and kick me out. My kid up there doing his schoolwork. There's like three weeks of school left before the kids graduate. The Texas Supreme Court lifted the moratorium on evictions March 31st. The Dallas-Fort Worth area has the third most eviction filings in the country. going to put everybody out the first chance they got. Upshaw lost his job early in the pandemic and has been struggling since. Constables placed his belongings in the front yard. Where are you going to go? We don't know yet. We haven't figured that part of it out yet. This could be the first signs of an expected tsunami of evictions as the nationwide moratorium is lifted. Up to 40 million Americans are at risk to lose their home. The moratorium was supposed to protect everybody until the end of June. Black families are twice as likely as whites to face eviction. The ideal that, uh, you know, it's now okay to kick everybody out as if the virus is over with, it's not. His neighbor, Linda Bowie, is also being evicted. I'm worried, but I can't do nothing about it. I can't keep crying over it. She has 24 hours to leave. Where are you going to sleep tonight? In my son's car right there. You're prepared for that? No, I'm not, but we ain't got nowhere else to go. He put me out right now. Their landlord, Peter Sy, says his mortgage is still due even though rent is not being paid. So how much money is that that you're owed? Total about twenty-five to 28000 How long have you been losing money? About seven, eight months already. It's like America going backwards, you know what I mean? For now, Anthony has temporarily moved into a motel while his son finishes school. So the stuff, it ain't even important. It's as long as my kid, me and my kid good, we good. But Linda has not been as lucky. She's currently living in her car. Anthony and Linda are surviving the COVID pandemic, but are victims of the COVID economy. Omar Villafranca, CBS News, Dallas. And tomorrow we're going to take you inside eviction court, the last chance for families facing removal from their homes. We also have late word tonight of the death of actor Charles Grodin, a familiar face on TV and movies. In 1981, Grodin, with deadpan humor, shared the screen with Miss Piggy in The Great Muppet Caper, one of a string of movies he appeared in. He also did commentary for CBS News in the 1990s. Charles Grodin died of bone marrow cancer. He was 86 years old. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Tonight, police in Oakland, California, are looking for the gunman in a deadly attack on a party bus. Two people were killed. At least three others were injured when a car pulled up next to the bus and someone opened fire. One passenger was celebrating her 21st birthday. She survived. 
All right, tonight there are important new guidelines for colon cancer screening. A U.S. task force recommends men and women should get checked starting at age 45. Now that is five years earlier than before. Colon cancer is on the rise and it claims more than 50,000 lives every year. That includes actor Chadwick Boseman, who died last year at age 43. Boseman filmed several movies while undergoing treatment. We were thinking that college ought to be a piece of cake for two friends with a sweet idea for a business. CBS's Jan Crawford has their recipe for success. Yeah, it's ready. Okay. Last year, stuck at home during the pandemic, Virginia high school seniors Cynthia Reshmi and Farah Bahar decided to start a candy company, though they knew nothing about making candy. Our first batch of chocolate-covered strawberries, it was not good. You learned a lot by trial and error. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We watched a lot of TikTok videos on how to package, so... TikTok, thank you so much for that. Helps us a lot. <laughs> they didn't just need something to do, they needed money. Both of their parents lost jobs during COVID. I was definitely thinking about saving up for college. You needed to try to find that independently. Yeah, because my parents, they pay for too much. Fast forward a year and their company, FNR Sweets, is the bomb. The cocoa bomb, that is, one of their best sellers. We had this huge order, and we only had one, like, mold to oh, make God. it with. Yeah. And it was, like, an order for 50 cocoa bombs, and we stayed up till, like, 1 a.m. Yeah. making these cocoa bombs. Even though you had school yeah. and you're juggling homework. I feel accomplished, in a way, for an 18-year-old, and that's, like, really big. I feel like I made my parents really proud. And they earned enough money to help their families, which may be the sweetest part of it all. Jan Crawford, CBS News, Arlington, Virginia. Tomorrow in our series, Unifying America, a mission to end Asian stereotypes on the stage. Reminder, if you can't watch us live, set your DVR so you can watch us later. That's tonight's CBS Evening News. I'm Nora O'Donnell. See you tomorrow. Good night. If you like the CBS Evening News, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Hi, it's Stephen Colbert, and I'm here to tell you about The Late Show Pod Show, which is the podcast of The Late Show with me, Stephen Colbert, and I'm here with my uh, producer of the podcast, Becca. Hi, Becca. Hi, Stephen. And how long have you been the, the producer of this? We've been doing this for two years now. Okay. And and what is it like to attempt to uh, get feedback from me about the podcast? Be honest about how quickly I respond to emails. You actually respond to emails surprisingly fast. Really? I, I think you might be the only person I respond to. <laughs> I respond to quickly. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah. I expected I expected you to lay into me. Well, this was over the strike period. Oh, I had time. Yeah. See, that, that, does, that doesn't count. <laughs> Sure, I responded to everything because responding to you, putting reruns up on the podcast was like a form of employment. Yeah. And I felt like I had something to get up for every yeah. day. So thank you for that. Listen to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert wherever you get your podcasts.